In this episode of the ESG Beat, we will speak with Hilary Dasuki, currently the general counsel of Patagonia. Hilary's career embodies the belief that lawyers have an obligation to create positive change for people and the planet. Today, we will hear about how Hillary advances Patagonia's mission, which is to save our home planet, through her leadership of the legal department. Examples of this include advising the company on corporate governance and corporate form, Patagonia's litigation strategy, and its public policy advocacy. Welcome to the ESG Beat, Hillary. Thank you, Amelia. I'm so glad to be here. So let's start by having you tell us a little bit about your role as GC of Patagonia, a, a very, of course, uh, well-known and well-loved company, and how sustainability and ESG are governed at Patagonia. Perfect. Well, I guess, first of all, being the general counsel of Patagonia has to be totally different from what that role would be like anywhere else. I can't remember if we had talked about this, but Yvonne Chouinard, our founder, wrote a book that you're familiar with probably called Let My People Go Surfing. So the very first line is something along the lines of, I've been a businessman for 40 years. I have as hard a time admitting that as I would admit to admitting being an alcoholic or a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> so from the start, it's a company founded by risk takers and, you know, they, they don't like to follow the rules, and um, one of our core values is being unconventional. So if you think of all the training we have as lawyers, it's kind of the opposite of that. It's been a really fun challenge to kind of figure out how to do things differently. And part of that is just by putting the values of the company front and center into everything we do. You know, we don't look at a traditional risk analysis, we look at how is this decision going to impact the planet? How is it going to impact our employees? What's the impact on the community? Just the mission, which is simply we're in business to save our home planet, is literally at the heart of every single thing any of us in any role in the company do. So I'm excited to explore how you enact your mission throughout so many different initiatives. Uh, but before we do that, I wanted to talk about something else that you did, which was also a very unconventional. You're a California Public Benefit Corporation, and I believe that Yvonne Chouinard, your founder, stood in line. I, I believe he also wore a suit and stood in line. Exactly. And a tie. <laughs> to ensure that Patagonia would be the first California Public Benefit Corporation. Now, stepping back a bit, Patagonia is privately held. And so, and the business judgment rule, as we know, is very generous. Uh, so in terms of the legal risk, that was very small. Why was it so important for Patagonia to become a public benefit corporation? Well, it was really about succession planning. Yvonne felt that this was a way to make sure we could lock in the values of the company for the next 100 years and beyond. In our Articles of Incorporation, we've included six specific benefit purposes that are really detailed. And they include a requirement that a, a unanimous shareholder vote is needed to change anything. So they went kind of all out in locking in terms of locking in the mission and locking in the benefit corporation commitments to make sure that the values would be around forever and if the values weren't around then the company wouldn't be around so really it kind of came back to succession planning 
And did you advise the board in that decision making process? And can you give us just a glimpse of what that looked like? Yeah, it all got started actually before I joined Patagonia. But on my very first day with the company, it was a board meeting and the board was voting on the amended articles that would include these six specific benefit purposes that are very detailed and that included the unanimous vote requirement if any of those were to be changed. So they were presented to the board and someone asked me to weigh in on whether we should move forward with these, but I hadn't even read them yet. So I said, well, it'd be great if I just had a little bit of time to go through them. And Melinda Chenard, uh, one of the founders said, well, we could get hit by a bus tonight and it will be too late, but I'll give you until tomorrow. So um, that was my introduction to how important this was. And you know, right away had to kind of throw out everything I'd ever learned about corporate law and any corporate lawyer would be terrified by a unanimous vote needed for anything on the shareholder level. But, you know, right there from the very first moment, it was all about the values and the mission and making sure that, that nothing could come in between those and the, and the company's actions. That's an extraordinary story. Can you just go through the specific benefit purposes? Yep. And one is to give away 1% of sales to environmental nonprofits. That's the first. The second is to build, build the best product, causing no unnecessary harm. The third is to conduct our operations, causing no unnecessary harm. The fourth is sharing best practices with other companies. Fifth, um, transparency and everything. And the sixth is to provide a supportive work environment for our employees including on-site childcare where we can. So let's go on to Patagonia's mission. In December of 2018, uh, Patagonia changed its mission from build the best product, cause no unnecessary harm, use business to inspire and implement solutions to the environmental crisis, to something even more ambitious than that, which is Patagonia is in business to save our home planet. So that is certainly an incredibly lofty mission, but what are some examples of how Patagonia is enacting this mission? And in particular, uh, if you could focus on some that intersect with the legal function. Stepping back for a minute, the company had a really long history of supporting grassroots environmental groups in Utah, working to preserve the area around what's now Bears Ears National Monument. So, you know, lots of dollars and grants and support to kind of elevate the causes working with the tribes and the intertribal coalition that was formed to help ultimately manage the monument. And so when Donald Trump was elected as a promise to the Utah delegates, he, as you know, tried to significantly reduce the boundaries of the Bears Ears National Monument. And that was, you know, devastating to so many and years of hard work were threatened. So Patagonia was contacted by Conservation Lands Foundation, a nonprofit working to advance protections for public lands and asked to join in a lawsuit against the administration, challenging the rollback as a violation of the Antiquities Act. So it, honestly, it was sort of one conversation with our board to describe, here's what we want to do. And they said, absolutely, go for it. So we sued the president, had a great campaign that went along with that to raise awareness. The case has been briefed and we're waiting to 
to learn what the decision is. Hopefully it will go our way. And then we filed an amicus brief with Columbia. And a lot of the point behind this is how much of, of an economic impact and benefit these preserving these, these landscapes have when it comes to the outdoor industry and the tourist economy, recreation economy, um, and just really elevating the fact that there's a real business impact when it comes to conservation. It's not, it's not just about preserving ecosystems and wild spaces and most importantly, artifacts and all of the history that, um, that, that comes and that is, has been part of these landscapes for years and years. So we've done a lot of work on the environmental litigation front, which has been really exciting and not typically what you'd see a, a corporation do. I'd also like to ask you about another first for our company, which is you were the first company to publicly endorse two candidates, Jackie Rosen and John Tester in 2018. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that strategy? Yeah, well, they both are, were candidates who had a really strong record of advancing protection for public lands. Um, John Tester is also an organic farmer and regenerative organic um, practices are a really important part of our mission as well. And we think one of the best solutions to solving the climate crisis. Um, so there was that tie-in. and. We have a distribution center in Reno, so a lot of employees who it was really important to them to actually see a candidate who was going to protect the places that they go every day to climb and run and bike. So there was a very strong connection to our values reflected in those two candidates, and it was kind of a no-brainer. And the races were really close. We uh, we don't know exactly what we did to influence that. But I can tell you, I probably got at least 20 people to go vote when I knocked on doors over the five days before the, the election. So let's move on to the present moment and knocking on doors. Um, tell us a little bit about your get out the vote efforts right now. One of the things we did in 2018 was co-founded an organization called Time to Vote, which has, you know, upwards of 400 members at least at this point, and probably a lot more than that. But it's companies who've committed to make sure that their employees are able to get, get to the polls, whether it's by giving them a day off like Patagonia does and other companies are just making sure that there are a few hours that they can take away from work. Another thing that became so apparent in knocking doors in Reno in 2018 were the young moms who answered the door who said to me i care so much and i want to go vote but i have to i have to work from 7 a.m till 8 p.m and then i don't have anybody to watch the kids when i get home so it's just it's so important for companies to make sure that their employees have one of the most universal rights that is accorded to all of us so time to vote is a great organization on that front and and then we're We've got a great campaign coming together um, with a lot of different tactics, but one of them is really making sure that we can get our community activated, our employees, our customers, our the athlete, athletic community to get the vote out and make a voting plan and find ways to volunteer, whether it's digitally or in person, depending on the circumstances at the time. So. 
we've got a lot going on and it's a huge priority for the company. So we can't ignore that we are recording this amidst a global pandemic and it has hit retail very hard. My question is this, has it tested Patagonia's commitment to its mission? Yeah, I think it, it definitely has. And the, I think the companies that are gonna come out of this intact and maybe hopefully stronger are those that really can fall back on a very clear sense of purpose and mission. And we have that built into our structure, our governance structure through the Benefit Corp commitments and through our benefit corporation status. But we kind of always put people first in the decisions that we're making during this time. And that's one of our six specific benefit corp commitments. So it it's officially incorporated in how we look at things, but it's also inherently a part of how company makes decisions and how the board makes decisions. So we, we have made ourselves be intentional about reminding the board of that obligation, reminding ourselves at the outset of each board meeting that involves making really tough decisions that we, you know, we're not looking at this just from a financial perspective, like a traditional public company might. We have a fiduciary duty to look at the impact in a different way, not just the financial impact, but the impact on our employees, on the environment, on the community, and make sure that we're tying these really crucial decisions back to the company's core values as they're reflected in our benefit corp status. So that's really fascinating because that tells me that the benefit corp status is meaningful and is operationalized um, in these challenging times and helps you and guides you in making decisions. I'd like to drill down just a little bit more on that because I want to talk about the, the trade-offs. The California Public Benefit Corporation, what kind of trade-offs does that require you to make with as you weigh stakeholders' interests? Because, you know, in good times, those interests converge, but in hard times, there may be conflicts between uh, those interests. That's a really great point, and one I've been talking a lot lately with Suze McCormick about, who is everything I know about corporate form, I learned from Suze. But uh, there, there's, a, I think, kind of a flaw in the California Benefit Corp statute that treats everything equally. So all stakeholders are treated equally. And, and it doesn't provide a lot of guidance for um, how you resolve conflicts. And I think that's something that we could address because lawyers like clarity and lawyers aren't going to want to wade into something when they're not sure how it's going to play out if it's challenged. But for Patagonia, Kind of like I said, we just really clearly put the people first and whether the statute drove that or our articles specifically drove that, that's just where we were coming from through this. So in, in reality, it wasn't, wasn't challenging to kind of evaluate that conflict, but if in other circumstances, it might be. So I like the idea of potentially cleaning that up a little bit. Thank you for that. That's really interesting with respect to the lack of guidance in the statute on how to navigate the different trade-offs. I'd like to move to the topic of racial justice. And I want to ask you uh, how you see the relationship between climate justice, something that you've long advocated for, and racial justice. Yeah, I mean, you know, they're really 
two sides of the same coin. And at the same time, I recognize that it's hard to focus on a planet that's dying over time when people are being killed every day. So we really, we have to get to the root of the problem and our capitalist system just runs through that in every way. And here we are, we're talking about stakeholder capitalism and what does that mean? But we can't really do that meaningfully without acknowledging that the system itself needs to be totally transformed and recognizing how strongly the current system perpetuates advancing the few, usually white people, always white people, mainly men, at the expense of everyone else. So we just we need to reckon with the fact that we have to dismantle the system and stand up a new one. And a benefit court model is a great place to start, but I don't think it goes quite far enough when it comes to how we're building a, a just and equitable world that puts black indigenous people and people of color at the center and um, one that every company has to advance. That brings me to my last question, which is magic wands and crystal ball. I agree with you that we need transformative change and I'm gonna give you a magic wand and ask you to use it in any way that you think would ensure that transformative change. What would you do with your magic wand? Oh gosh, I would do so many things with it right now. <laughs> um, but if it comes to, if we're, if we're talking about transformative change as it relates to environmental and social governance. You know, I, I personally think, and I think Yvonne Chouinard has come to believe that lawyers are the ones who move everything forward. And we have to have policy at the federal level in order to get companies on board. They're not, they're just not going to do it out of their economic self-interest. I think we're making progress on that front, but incremental progress and we don't have time to be incremental. So I love to see federal policy that is really ambitious, that um, you know builds on the benefit court model, something along the lines of Elizabeth Warren's Accountable Capitalism Act. So uh, in addition to a magic wand, you get a crystal ball. So where do you think we're headed? Well, I, I'm almost always an optimist. Sometimes it's hard to keep a hold of optimism in the face of the, the hits that just keep coming every day right now. But I think I think we're I think we're going to get there. I really do. I think we're going to get the administration we want and need. And I think we're going to see transformative change that um, is ushered in on this wave of historic economic and social uh, upheaval. And this is gonna be one of those moments in history where we have systemic change and we can turn things around. And you and I wanna live in Amelia and we want our daughters to grow up in and we want them to have the opportunity to do amazing things, which I know the kids of this generation are gonna do after having lived through this crazy time unlike any other. So I see it, I see it happening. And I'm gonna to stick to that and continue to be an optimist. Well, I share uh, your love for rose-colored glasses and I'm deeply grateful that you've taken the time to be with us today. And I'm deeply grateful for your advocacy uh, in support of systemic change through the lens of corporate governance. 
Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. It's a highlight of my month. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye. I'm Amelia Miazad from Berkeley Law. Thank you for staying on the ESG beat with me today.